Hello again, and welcome back. It's Wednesday the 12th of August 2009, and you're listening to Skeptics with a K, the podcast for science, reason, and critical thinking. Skeptics with a K is produced by the Merseyside Skeptic Society, a non-profit organisation dedicated to the promotion of scepticism on Merseyside, around the UK, and internationally. I'm your host, Michael. With me today is Michael Marshall. Hello. And Colin Harris. Hello. How you been, guys? Yeah, yeah, good. Thanks, yeah, good. Thanks, right. yourself. Uh, I'm sunburned. I can see that much. In fact, that's pretty much all I can see sat across the desk from you right now. It really, really hurts. <laughs> I was at a medieval fair at um, Bottlewidden Castle in uh, North Wales. Doing uh, your bit to make skeptics seem cool. Well, here, I, was, I was on my lookout for, for like palm readers and psychics and things like that, but it mostly wasn't that. It was mostly like crafts and reenactments mm. and, you know, people getting hit with swords and things like that. Um, and ye olde credit cards accepted, which was the best, <laughs> the best sign I saw when we were there. Ye olde credit cards accepted. It was fantastic. Um, but uh, and it was really odd as well because it, it, it was like set in medieval times, but like in North Wales. So everyone was Welsh. It, it, it was like if, if Torchwood did a medieval episode, <laughs> it was really peculiar. One thing that's, uh, that's caught my eye uh, was in the, the Metro this week, uh, Andrew Parker, Dr. Andrew Parker, uh, who's a biologist from Oxford University, has uh, been promoting his new book, The Genesis Enigma, Why the Bible is Scientifically Accurate. I right. you saw this. He was interviewed in the Metro's uh, 60 second segment where they just do a very, very quick interview on someone. Mm. And uh, while you'd expect a 60 second interview in the Metro to be quite a softball easy, relaxed kind of thing. It, they actually asked him some pretty tri- tricky questions. It was uh, it was really fantastic to read. So what, what, what does he mean when he says that the Bible is scientifically accurate? Because the Bible says things like uh, a, a bat is a variety of bird, which it blatantly <laughs> isn't. Well, I don't think he covered that. He claimed specifically that uh, the events in Genesis strongly match the history of the universe uh, so accurately it could only have been written with divine intervention. Right. That's, that's his beliefs. And, uh, it is fantastic. I mean, if you, if you have a, if you get a chance to read the article, I think you, you had a read of it yourself. There's some fantastic uh, questions they put in there. Um, when asked if his book it was just another case of religion masquerading as science, he responded, uh, not only is the sequence of events in Genesis scientifically correct, but some of the events themselves are really quite precise, uh, which would have been impossible for a human to know at that time. You have to conclude that the, either the author made an extremely lucky guess or something strange was going on, such as divine inspiration. And fantastic, the interviewer, his next question was, that's a bit of a leap, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is he actually reading the same book? What, uh, what on earth? Uh, the, 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 it matches the order of creation. In what sense? Well, I mean, they do actually pull him apart on that. Uh, the interviewer does ask him, uh, he says, in Genesis, God creates the earth in six days, makes manna of dust, and makes no mention of the Big Bang. If it was written with God's help, why is so much of it wrong? And uh, and Andrew Parker answered, uh, it's the authors adding their own artistic interpretation, shoehorning the facts into the type of story people would be able to understand, uh, which is such special pleading. Cause well, <laughs> what facts? Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's special pleading is what it is. As far as I can see, that's all shoehorn. <laughs> no fact. No shoe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, had there been anything which does tie up, he wouldn't be saying, oh yeah, well, this just happened to make it up. You know, the, the shoehorned some facts around the story. You know, if, as soon as anything would be correct, he'd pull that out as being scientific proof of the accuracy. And anything that doesn't fit is just them telling the story uh, so people at the time could understand. Does that it. include plants existing before sunlight as well? I think it does. Uh, uh. <laughs> well, they, they do go on to actually, uh, 
to ask, actually ask him. He said, um, the, the interviewer asks him, you say the second let there be light refers to the evolution of the eye, but you edited out the rest <laughs> whoa, of the whoa, line. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hang on a second. Let there be light refers to the evolution of the eye. Apparently so. Now, I, I'm not entirely sure how this works. Is that like the first human opening his eyes and going, whoa? It, it could be. Whose eye? <laughs> <laughs> The eye, the eye has evolved several times. It's not like a one-off evolution like the, the eukaryotic cell. That's, the, the eye has evolved independently. It's several different times over. Like if you look at a squid eye, it bears no resemblance to a human eye. There's no common ancestor between That's true. squid vision and human vision. Uh, it's yeah. evolved independently in those two organisms. So what do you mean the evolution, like it's one event? Well, exactly. And the thing is as well, let there be light. Now, if you, if you read Genesis, the let there be light comes a long time before anything was created. <laughs> before he put fishes in the sea and the animals on the land. In the beginning, the eye evolved. <laughs> so there's it's just, we, apparently we've got this entire world filled with just yeah. eyes. And not much to see. <laughs> not much to see, exactly. Yeah, because this is before the Look sun. Look around and go, aye, aye. He's, you know, they say uh, in the question, um, the second let there be light refers to the evolution of the eye, but you edited out the rest of the line, which clearly refers to the sun, moon, and stars. There's no mention in Genesis of the evolution of the eye. And Andrew Parker, fantastically, has no answer to this. He's stumped by the Metro. He says, um, okay, I'll probably have a look at this in more detail again. <laughs> the first page of the Bible doesn't spell out the eye, but it doesn't spell out any of the signs in detail, which undermines his well, entire yeah. book. Well, I, I have the first page of the Bible here. <laughs> let, let, let's, let's the original see, one? Let's see what we got. This is the New International Version. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth, the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So there's water. There's no. There's no <laughs> God, God created water. There's water there to yeah. kick off. Um, God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. Yeah. Well, obviously, he, he could see that the, the light was good once he had a bit of light on the subject to see that. You know, you saw. Yeah. Put the light on. Oh yeah, you, I can see. Actually, once no. the light existed, it was already separate from the darkness as well. By definition, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how did he, yeah, he, that's pretty impressive that he can, uh... Um, uh, God called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening, it's not just night, it's, it's <laughs> evening, you know, there, there was, there was after lunch, there was dusk. Evening and morning in the first day, but no sun. No. So evening and morning, where's the light coming from? Well, God, he's God, man, he's pretty God good. From God's eye. <laughs> that's the first eye, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. Good. So th that's uh, where lands come from. He made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. What? The water <laughs> above the expanse? It might be a cloud reference. I don't know what, you know, what, uh, could wa be. water above yeah. and below. Um <clears throat> and it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Still not, still not got a sun yet. Two, no. two days in, no sun. That's you know, you, you take off the big things first. Actually, you know what it is? If you're making a to-do list, right, and you've seen all the little jobs on there, and then some of the big jobs, you always do the little jobs first. Little jobs first. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, yeah, you know, do the, fold the clothes, and then go wash the car. <laughs> and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered unto one place, and let the dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God smug. said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. Still no sun. <laughs> so 
He what? created the plants, and then the plants all died the instantly. Plants all died <laughs> due <laughs> to a lack of Withered, uh, yeah. maybe uh, lack of sunlight. Seeds, maybe. Maybe it's moss. Yeah. Maybe he's yeah. created moss. Yeah. <laughs> In the beginning, God created moss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's Some created mushrooms. So the eye. <laughs> The eye and then moss. Yeah. Right. He's, he's, he's gone through the easy stuff first. Honestly, you take off the small jobs, you know, dust the telly. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the third day. God said, let there be lights. Yep. That's the second <laughs> let there be lights. I see. In the sky. <laughs> so that's not an eye then. Unless uh, he had eyes in, that's a, eyes Andrew in, Parker believes he put eyes in the sky. Eyes in the sky. That's a bit big brother, that. <laughs> and God said, let there be CCTV. Yeah, well, God <laughs> is the ultimate big brother. I mean, he sees all. <laughs> let there be eyes in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. That's a blatant sun and moon. Yeah, yeah that's, stars, that's what he's yeah. on about, yeah. Um let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on earth, and it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser to govern the night. So here we are with the sun and the moon, four days in, and we've got the sun and the moon. Yep. And um, not an eye. Finally produced. Not an eye <laughs> at all. Don't need them. Don't need them. Yeah. There's not even any creatures around then. <laughs> Maybe the moon's like a, a dead eye. Like, like a oh, it's like a lazy like a eye. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Columbo's eye. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, going back to the interview, there's some great lines. I mean, this interviewer, I, I tried to find the name. I couldn't find the name of the interviewer, but uh, he said the next question, is there any real evidence or is it just speculation? And Parker said, if you want to say it's 100% evidence of God, then no. With this book, <laughs> there might be indirect evidence. It's the strongest evidence for the existence of God I've come across. I'm not sure how you would describe it. And the interviewer says, flawed. <laughs> <laughs> And he said, well, that's an opinion, and that's something I'm interested in. I'm not trying to fool anyone. I think it's it, it, it's great to see a newspaper playing hardball with mm. someone who's who's obviously full of shit. Absolutely. But what's amazing, really, is this is a 60-second interview in a free paper, and he can't even get through that without making himself look like a complete idiot. And this bloke's a doctor, you He say? is. He's a biologist at Oxford University. He's Al- a biologist. So a he, biologist, no less. He knows all about the evolution of the eye. He's an expert <laughs> on the evolution of the eye. That's uh, just because he's... Um, uh, just because he believes in God doesn't necessarily mean that he's uh, an, an evolution denier. So, mm. you know, you, I suppose you can be a biologist and a... Uh, whack job yeah at the same time well he's proving yeah. it i think yeah i mean he he is against uh atheism as well he said the interview question is uh you criticize it criticize atheism because you think it's disturbing to believe there's no god or heaven just because those things might be comforting doesn't make them true does it which again is a great question from what is uh, a free paper yeah. yeah and his answer is no but what i'm saying is that if the evidence doesn't necessarily point one way or another perhaps we're better off with religion Except ah. the evidence does point, like it, it one it, yeah. it points to the null hypothesis. Yeah. You assume that it's not true until you find evidence to the contrary. Not, well, it's a toss up in it. Exactly. Let's, let's <laughs> just let's just pick one. And evidence to the contrary isn't taking the phrase "let there be light" and assuming that means "let there evolve an eye." Yeah. <laughs> He could just mean God turned his torch on so we could see what he was doing. Well, yeah, maybe he had one of those little hats, you know, that uh, that builders tin and... Uh, Miner's hat. Not, yeah. not a tinfoil hat. <laughs> We've got to get a, a mention of a tinfoil hat in once an episode. Well, I think that. there's no piece of woo complete without a tinfoil hat, I think. It's like the idea of God with a tinfoil hat on. 
<laughs> Who's he paranoid about? <laughs> He's just invented light. He, he hasn't invented aliens yet. <laughs> he hasn't invented Wi-Fi. He's fine. <laughs> God has electro-hypersensitivity. Is <laughs> it let there be light? Oh, that was a mistake. Yeah, ah! yeah. Suddenly, the electromagnetic frequencies of the light make him feel ill and generally unwell. And, and, and he moves to rural Kent, which is particularly rural because there's no one there. He hasn't created them. <laughs> Just a few eyes floating about. <laughs> and God created rural Kent. Yeah. Unto which he retired. Yeah. To grow <laughs> to potatoes. Live the life of a farmer. <laughs> Quite a big farmer. Oh, dear me. There's going to be two moons in the sky, apparently. Um, Will one of them be an eye? <laughs> there's a, an email circulating at the moment which claims that uh, the orbit of Mars uh, and the Earth will bring them exceptionally close um, at the end of this month. Um, let, let me just read out the email for you. <clears throat> Two moons on the 27th of August. 27th of August, the whole world is waiting for. The planet Mars will be the brightest in the night sky starting in August. It will look as large as the full moon to the naked eye. <laughs> this will culminate on August 27th when Mars comes within 35 million miles of Earth. Be sure to watch the sky on August 27th at 12.30 a.m., it will look like the Earth has two moons. The next time Mars will come this close is in 2287. Share this with your friends as no one alive today will ever see this again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that bit was in capitals or have you just totally messed up the sound levels there? <laughs> All in capitals. No one alive today will ever see this again. Now, most people who know me know that I have a bit of a sceptical mindset. So yeah. when, when these kind of emails come around, they're normally forwarded to me with, is this true, <laughs> written above it. Usually some bit of social paranoia, like, you know, did you know there's six Muslims born every second in Birmingham or something <laughs> ridiculous like that? Uh, uh, that might be true, actually. I don't know. Six Muslims a second. Six Muslims a second in Birmingham. Well, are you, you're not born Muslim, though, are you? I mean, that's Dawkins' uh, big thing mm. is that there's no such thing as a Catholic that's or true. a Protestant child. Um, so this one got sent to me um, uh, to check if it was real, and of course it's not. Yeah. Um, the, the bare facts are right, for the most part, but several years out of date. Um, Earth has got an orbital period of around 365 days, 365.25. Mm -hmm. um, Which coincidentally is the same as uh, our calendar year. Who'd, who'd have wow. thought it? It's, it's funny when... It's an amazing coincidence. It's funny when things like that come together, isn't it? Evidence of intelligent design, <laughs> if ever you ask. Uh, intelligent it, design of the calendar. <laughs> there can be no other explanation. Uh, Mars's orbital period is at 685 days, so every couple of years their respective elliptical orbits... Uh, bring them into what is called a, a perihelic opposition. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. It might be perihelic. Perihelic sounds right. Perihelic op um, opposition, which is a, a point of closest approach. Um, and it did, in fact, come within 35 million miles uh, of Earth on August 22nd, uh, August 27th in 2003. I see. Uh, there was another um, perihelic opposition in October 2005, where Mars came within 44 million miles of Earth. Um, and then again in December 2007, when it came within 55 million miles of Earth. Um, so uh, the email is right when it says that you know Mars is going to be within uh, 35 million years, uh, 35 million miles of Earth, but it's completely out of date. Mm. Um, it's also not that rare by the sounds of things as well. It, uh, it's no, happening every two years or so. This, it, it, it does happen every couple of years. Um, 
the 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 email is right when it uh, when it says that we won't get another approach as close as the 2003 approach until 2287. Um, although uh, there will be a comparable one in 2018, so that the claim of no one alive today <laughs> is perhaps a little <laughs> bit overstated. Yeah. Um, so the Unless they're expecting something really bad to happen in the next sort yeah. of ten, five, ten years. Maybe, maybe he believes in the Mayan calendar yeah. conspiracy theory. Or the rising or something It's like the Mayan that. calendar. The That's what it is. It's Mayan, yeah. The world ends in 2012, so no one alive today <laughs> will be here to see, to see the event in 2018. Which is also true of, you know, the 2018 World Cup, for example. <laughs> if, if we're not going to be here for 2012 no one will see the 2018 World Cup that's, that's a bastard true. I was looking forward to that one it was going to be in England it's, we're, we're going for it you know, England's, England's up for it, it yeah. 2018 World Cup <laughs> we're a shoe in it will be a bugger if we get the 2018 World Cup and then the world ends in 2012 oh, yeah. I'll be so pissed off I'll be so annoyed honestly <laughs> I, I I'll be livid I don't know that you'd notice what oh no, I'm a big football <laughs> fan the world ending and you being dead I'd still be livid <laughs> livid in the afterlife so the facts are mostly correct, but completely out of date. There, there isn't a perihelic opposition uh, on the 27th of August this year. Um, uh, one thing that is completely wrong, though, is this claim about there being two moons in the sky or that, that Mars will appear as big as the moon. Um, when this email first circulated in 2003, it contained a line which suggested that Mars would be as big as the moon with a naked eye if you're looking through a telescope with 75 <laughs> times zoom. <laughs> so if you, it's, it's looking at the oh, moon with your eye will be the same as looking at Mars through a 75 zoom telescope. That's such an unimpressive stat. I mean, <laughs> if you're looking through a telescope at anything, you could make it the size of the yeah, moon. With you get a, a big enough telescope, <laughs> anything's the size of the moon, isn't it? Um, within reason, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Presumably you'd have to have... One eye up to the telescope and the other eye just looking at the moon with the naked eye. So, yeah, so one of the each. Same You've got to multitask. <laughs> um, but when the, when the email's been forwarded on, this part about the telescope has been cut out mm. at some point. Uh, so it's just now being passed on as as big as the moon with the naked <laughs> eye. Uh, when actually, I, I mean, I, I thought about setting down and, and doing the maths and saying, right, 35 million, how, what's the diameter of Mars? What's, you know, the distance, mm. 35 million miles, how small would it look taking it? And then I thought, no, it's going to be 75 times smaller than that, isn't it? Because that's what the telescope's doing. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to work out all that maths. If it's going to be as big as the moon at a 75 <laughs> zoom, that means it's going to be 75 times smaller than the moon, which is it's going to look like a star, yeah, basically. It's going to look pretty small. You know, a, a, maybe a decent sized star. I think it, it's something like 85 times brighter than normal. Um, but it's still just going to look like an ordinary star. And even then, it's not happening this year. Yeah. I think that the next one's not until... Um, it, it, I say it's happening something like every 17 months or something mm. like that. There's, there's one of these perihelic oppositions. The last one was December 2007. So we're early 2010 before yeah. Mars is near us yet. It'd be miles away now. A Danish scientist called Bjorn Lomberg, who's been renowned in the past for being a bit of a climate change denier. Well, he didn't deny that climate, man-made climate change existed, but he denied that it was as big a problem as people said and that there were much more pressing issues. Although he seems to have had a bit of a sea change recently with his plan to create a giant cloud to reflect sunlight away from the Earth. And to do this, he would use a fleet of 1,900 ships, a wind-powered fleet, that would crisscross the oceans constantly and permanently. This would 
Permanently. It's just not a one-off. This would have to be done all so the time. It, the longer the sentence goes on, the weirder it gets. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> Basically, they would suck up seawater and project it into the air in long funnels. It's staggering. I mean, how <laughs> I can't even begin to put the questions of about this into into words. We, so... we are actually being gish galloped by Colin. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Royal Society is expected to endorse this, and that they're, uh, they're currently seeking funds for. Um, prototype ships for this, and it would cost in the region of 5.3 billion, which apparently is just a fraction of the 250 billion. This is dollars; it'd be 150 billion pounds. Yeah, nothing really. Drop yeah. in the ocean. Yeah, which apparently that's what he says it would cost to each year to cut carbon emissions, which he says is a basically not a very cost-efficient way of reducing global warming, and that you're better off with this fleet of 1,900 ships. Crisscrossing the world, <laughs> spraying seawater into the air. Now, this cloud, ha- has it got any, uh, any <laughs> science behind it at all? Well, I mean, <laughs> not really. I, <laughs> it, it seems staggering to me. It, it really does. He's been known for publicity stunts, and um, a lot of people don't agree with what he says. Um, the Danish Committee on Scientific Dishonesty accused him of perversion of the scientific message, but that was the charge was later withdrawn, and he has... It, so, 2004, he was... Which committee? This was the Danish Committee on Scientific Dishonesty. That's an amazing committee. That is a cracking committee. <laughs> Why don't we have that here? Get the BCA in. Fuck it, we are. We, we're from yeah, now on, yeah. we are the Committee of Scientific Dishonesty. Right, the, the, the British Committee of Scientific yeah. Dishonesty also says that this guy's a whack job. Yeah, he's, a nut, <laughs> he's nuts, though. he's nuts. But it was withdrawn. So we should oh, be, oh, uh, no, he's, he's it, fine, it, yeah. actually. We'll yeah. take that back. Allegedly, he was a nut job. Alleged, uh, an alleged nut job. <laughs> and he's been, he was nominated in 2004 as one of the 100 most influential people in the world as well by Time magazine. Really? Yeah. Influential in which direction, though? I mean, you well, can. I mean, Hitler was influential. Yeah. I wouldn't respect yeah, the man. Guardian described him as one of the 50 people who could help save the planet as well. Which is by leaving it. it, it I, can't, <laughs> I, I can't work out whether this guy's some kind of genius or a nutcase. It sounds bizarre. It, so let's maybe just, it's let's, two yeah. separate people, and they're just getting them confused. So uh, let's let's just just go over his scheme <laughs> slowly. I'm not sure. <laughs> for, for me, I'm not sure if I'm getting. It. He's got a fleet of how many wind-powered it's, ships? It, One thousand nine hundred. Oh, so it's only nineteen hundred. I mean, there's probably yeah. more wind-powered ships. Yeah. Do you reckon there's that many wind-powered ships knocking around? And what, 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 flying ships, boats. <laughs> I've got it. I know <laughs> what he's all about. You know the um, Pastafarian dogma that the. Um, the global rise in temperatures is directly uh, is inversely proportional to the number of pirates <laughs> yeah. operating in the world at any given time. He's giving, he's putting more pirates out there. He's <laughs> a Pastafarian genius. Nineteen hundred pirate ships. <laughs> <laughs> the man is a genius. I salute him. Actually, my hands, uh, my hat is off. Only, only him and the Somalians trying to, <laughs> <laughs> trying to bring down global warming single-handed oh, now. That's amazing that we can we can praise Somalia's piracy <laughs> for something. <laughs> So uh, let, me, let me get this right. The, pl- the plan is that cl- climate change is brought about by uh, uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere causing global warming. Yeah. So that keeps heat in. He's yeah. suggesting that he makes a giant artificial cloud <laughs> yeah. around the planet <laughs> that would bounce, <laughs> bounce some of the light back out again. Yeah. Kind of like your sunburn's doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind 1900 ships. Just get my head... <laughs> My head out the top of the window. <laughs> Come on! Bring it on, son. He calls the focus on CO2 emissions um, political correctness. So he thinks it's not 
the best route for reducing global warming. Yeah, instead you he need wants, sailors. I think, he, I think he just likes the idea of a massive fleet of ships in his name. Who <laughs> 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 <He> wouldn't? <laughs> There's another great quote by him here as well, which it sounds like the pirate quote that you just said from Pastafarianism. It's not quite related. It says, while global warming will mean about 400,000... Uh, uh, doing a pirate voice. Oh, yeah, come on. <laughs> Me hearties. No. <laughs> Arr, while global warming will mean about 400,000... That's not a pirate voice. That's a farmer voice. <laughs> I slipped from pirate to farmer. You become big farmer in one sleep. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's in response to someone saying that a warmer earth will be a greener earth in which fewer people will die. And he claims... A warman will... No, it's a pirate. It's a farmer. <laughs> All pirates are from the West Country. Oh, yeah. Well, warman will... Oh, forget that. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> While warming will mean about 400,000 more heat-related deaths globally, it will mean 108 million fewer cold-related deaths. So that's all right, then. But I'm pretty sure they're not, there's not a direct correlation between these things. It's not like the entire planet will be the exact same temperature all around and that people who previously died of you know, pneumonia no. and flu no. are suddenly going to be, oh, I'm all right now. It's well, they'd yeah. no, be drowned yeah. instead. Yeah. The ice caps would go, <laughs> we'd lose large should, parts of the equatorial very complicated regions. things will happen as well. Yeah. Yes. Well, this is why it's, it's referred to these days as climate change, not global warming, mm. because the, it, mm. it's not just global warming. There will be places that get colder, there will be places that get hotter. It's really, but it's what, what be... is he going to do with this massive cloud in the sky? Will it only be over the oceans? Will it be everywhere? Will it block what? out the sun? I mean, this sounds like you know um, two of the the later matrix films <laughs> where shockingly shockingly i've made a matrix reference i mean i, I feel slightly dirty no, no, for doing so no, but the two, last two matrix films are you, you get a free pass on because adam savage worked on the special effects really yeah for which he apologizes <laughs> ah okay yeah yeah but, well that's that's all right we can give that a free pass could he not have worked on the script or keanu reeves acting i mean i saw um a scanner dark this is a total segue by the way i, I saw uh, a scanner darkly recently and it's amazing that even when he's animated, <laughs> he's fucking wooden. He is completely, he cannot act even when you've drawn on him. You can't even draw acting onto the man. He's that much of a blank canvas. I couldn't get through a scanner darkly. I, tried, I, I got through about, because I thought Philip K. Dick. Yeah. I'm up for that. Fantastic. All the best Hollywood films are all adaptations of Philip, except Total Recall, which was shite. <laughs> shite. Um mm. But I thought, great, Philip K. Dick, fantastic. Blade Runner, the science fiction film Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, I couldn't get through it. 15 minutes into it, bored now. Well, I was in a bar and it was on in the background and I was sort of drinking and just waiting for my girlfriend to get back from the toilet, essentially. And it was there in the background and it struck me. You watched an entire film in that time? Well, I didn't watch the whole film. I just (laughs) caught it in the background. Spend yeah. on the toilet, you know, they go off in pairs, they have conversations. Exactly. It was I remember when, when Colin and I um, were younger, we used to go to nightclubs. Um, <laughs> one nightclub that we went to, everyone else would go off and, you know, to the dance floor and have a party. And I'd sit and watch Scooby-Doo. <laughs> they had Scooby-Doo up on the, on the I screen. I sure Scooby-Doo was there. Scooby-Doo, great sceptical show, Scooby-Doo. Yes. Yeah. We yeah. love Scooby-Doo. It's always the janitor. Yeah, always a bloke in a mat. Never a real ghost. Yeah. Always or the guy who runs the mat. water slide, as Tim Minchin yeah. puts it. Until the film. Wasn't, didn't that oh, turn out to be a ghost? Lord. The film, which completely... <laughs> ma- the film, actually, the uh, spoilers for the film... If, oh. Yeah, we're going to... Careful, people, if you don't want to hear spoilers to Scooby-Doo, put it on mute for the next sort of six and a half seconds. In in the film, the bad guy is a sort of paranormal version of Scrappy-Doo. Really? Yeah. He gets pissed off. The the gang get pissed off at Scrappy-Doo and kick him out of the gang because he's an annoying little bastard. Mm. So he goes (laughs) off 
and gets some sort of freakish magic powers um, and, and comes Whoa. to take his revenge on the group. Is this, this the first film? Or I, the, the, I believe there was a sequel. The first, I didn't see the sequel. I, <laughs> I didn't the see the sequel. <laughs> I don't understand why they even put Scrappy-Doo in. He was the one character no one would have wanted back in any <laughs> film. True. The only redeeming thing about Scooby-Doo was uh, the guy from Scream playing Shaggy nailed nailed Shaggy's voice completely. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mr. Michelle Geller. I can't remember his name. No, Fred no, Freddy Mr. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince Jr. is the Freddie. Oh, Fred. It's, it's oh, the right. guy who was the killer in Scream. It's Matthew something. Yeah. Oh, Matthew Lillard. Yeah. Sounds about right. I, why do I know that? <laughs> I've no idea. <laughs> and the guy playing Scooby, uh, who basically just had to go... <laughs> the, the, the animation of Scooby-Doo was the worst, worst piece of CGI I've ever seen. One of the worst pieces of CGI I've ever seen. We won't go into that. I mean, this is a sceptical podcast, not a review of Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, well, very sceptical show. Very sceptical show. We love teaching scepticism to young children. Listen up, kids. It's never a ghost. It's always old man Peabody. Yeah, except the dog could talk. They were never sceptical about never, that, they never, they? They're never yeah. sceptical about that. Yeah. They were thinking, I, hang on, yeah, <laughs> there's not ghosts, and yeah, there's not phantoms, but we do have a talking <laughs> dog. Yeah. Jinkies, That's a, bit a talking dog. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for the third film, Thelma wakes up and goes, the dog talks. <laughs> yeah, just one What's going go. on? <laughs> okay, so moving on from the uh, from the comedy stories, uh, we actually have a really serious story which uh, which has been doing the rounds recently, and it's uh, it's regarding a fantastic ad that was in the Australian newspaper, The World, and the advert was put there by the Australian skeptics, um, found and funded rather by businessman, aviator, and explorer Dick Smith. And uh, the advert is uh, is there to urge parents to access factual information on vaccination. In the wake of the country's largest ever ho- uh, whooping cough epidemic, the mm. uh, the pertussis virus is really sort of taking taking hold there in mm. the face of the anti-vaccination movement. So the advertise the ad. So the ad, which is placed in the Thursday, August 6th edition of the Australian newspaper, uh, it directly addresses the Australian vaccination network's stated position of being pro-choice on vaccines when realistically they're actually very much anti-vaccine. And I'll, I'll just read through the ad because it is really fantastically worded. It's very emotive yeah. and it's a great example of how skeptics can use the facts and use their information to try and get a real message out there to the people. And we find this with it, the anti-vaccine movement is increasingly trying to brand itself as pro-choice oh, absolutely, instead yeah. of um, anti-vaccine. Yeah, um, definitely. Because anti-vaccine is getting quite a, 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 a poor reputation. That's something that we can attack. Yeah, and it's one of those um, false dichotomy kind of things, those, not, those nonsense names, you know, like the whole abortion is pro-life or pro-choice. Who's against life and who's against choice? Yeah, you know, it's, it's not yeah. about choice. It's whether you're going to vaccinate your kid or you're not going to vaccinate your kid. Yeah. But just to read the advert out, it's called uh, An Open Letter to the Parents of Australia. Immunisation, get the fact. Immunisation is one of the greatest achievements of medical science. Since the humble observations about cowpox made by Edward Jenner in the 1700s, vaccination programmes have saved millions of lives and dramatically decreased child mortality and suffering. Diseases such as smallpox are now consigned to history, while polio has virtually disappeared. But sadly, there are some people who are vehemently opposed to vaccinations. While they will tell you they're pro-choice, not anti-vaccination, their actions indicate otherwise, almost as if they want to remove your choice to have your child live in a disease-free society. In Australia, the deceptively titled Australian Vaccination Network, the AVN, spreads misinformation about the safety and effectiveness of vaccines. They incorrectly claim that vaccines contain toxic quantities of heavy metals such as mercury, as well as aluminium, antifreeze and formaldehyde. 
Further, they will tell you that vaccines cause diseases such as autism, despite the fact that, as a result of concerted scientific research, a link between vaccines and autism has been unequivocally dismissed. In addition to discouraging parents from vaccinating their children, the AVN provides incorrect information about the risks and complications from contracting childhood illnesses. They've stated that that hoping cough is just a bad cough, but in reality, children can suffer from collapsed lungs, cracked ribs, brain damage from a lack of oxygen, convulsions, and about one in every 200 children will develop pneumonia and die. Even those who survive may have persistent symptoms. Ultimately, the decision to vaccinate or not lies with you, the parent. Before you make your choice, we urge you to seek out unbiased, accurate advice from reputable medical sources. The Australian Vaccination Network is no such source. That's, it, that's a fantastic letter, that. That's brilliant. It is. And it's a real, real sort of, uh, sort of congratulations for the Australian skeptics that they've managed to get this in a national newspaper. Yeah. That they've really managed to get the real information or a, a real viewpoint out there to the public. And hopefully we'll see a real decline. Yeah in whooping cough cases and a real take-up of, uh, of vaccination because of it. That's crazy saying that whooping cough is just a bad cough. I know, it's, it is. It's so, <laughs> so ignorant. Absolute lunacy. Well, it actually gets worse. I mean, the AVN is headed up by Meryl Dory. Uh, she says vaccinations are dangerous, and she says no one dies of pertussis, which is whooping cough. And she says it's better not to vaccinate. And she insinuates that doctors only vaccinate children because it's profitable for them. This, of course, is total bullshit. There's no other word for it. It's bullshit. And in fact, this year, in this year alone, at least three children in Australia have died of pertussis, which was unheard of, you know, in the last five, ten yeah, more yeah. years. You do not die of pertussis because you're vaccinated. Yeah. It goes away. Uh, and these kids were too young to vaccinate, such as Dana McCaffrey, who mm. uh, was a young child who caught the disease. Uh, and died due to the herd immunity in Sydney dropping too low. And I know Meryl Dory actually appeared on the same TV show to discuss va- vaccination and pertussis yeah. as M- Dana McCaffrey's parents and sat there within feet of the, the mourning parents who've lost their, their baby mm. and said that, you know, uh, no one dies of pertussis. That's obscene. That really is obscene. It is. It's disgusting is what it is. Well, I mean, fair play to the Australian skeptics for, for, for putting this letter out there. That's, oh, abso- absolutely. You know, Definitely. excellent stuff. I mean, the ad is great. It's, it's a very emotive piece and it shows just exactly how to reach the public with real information. And at a time when here in the UK, herd immunity has been severely damaged due to the MMR hoaxes in the media, um, with a more serious outbreak of measles in Wales since the time that the MR, MMR vaccine was introduced, it's really valuable that this kind of ad and this kind of approach is available to skeptics. Um, just got to say, well done, really, to the Australian skeptics and to Dick Smith for speaking out against such Definitely. dangerous propaganda. And yeah. we can only hope that someone out there is uh, able to fund a similar advert and to really sort of get the message home in the UK. So Ben Stein has been fired as the the Sunday business columnist at the uh, at the New York Times. Been expelled. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he has been expelled. Yeah. So Ben Stein um, is uh, is a, a Jewish American author, actor, game show host, um, political commentator, uh, asshole. Uh, <laughs> also an evolution denier uh, with with some sort of Nazi fixation. Um, in my opinion, I hasten to add. In your opinion, um, from, from what I understand, uh, Stein's actually quite a big name in the US, even if he isn't particularly well known over mm. here. But pe- people in the UK might have, might remember him as the the boring high school teacher in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or um, uh, as uh, Doctor Newman in the The Mask and its god awful dodgy <laughs> sequel, Son of the Mask, which. I was really upset that Alan Cumming was in that because I like Alan Cumming. He's in a lot of crap though. But he's yeah, he's just making he's... increasingly crap films. <laughs> oh. 
Stein has managed to acquire a reputation as something of a public intellectual in the mm. U.S. In the U.S., um, which is why I suppose he gets he gets cast in films like The Mask as as, as like knowledgeable doctors and professors. Mm. Um, he was a speechwriter for the Nixon administration uh, and again for, <laughs> for Gerald Ford. Um, there were even rumours that he was uh, Deep Throat, the, the the Watergate informant who um, ultimately brought the Nixon. Uh, administration down really and I, I hope you're all impressed at how i'm letting the whole deep throat thing slide <laughs> well i was impressed that you were <laughs> I, <laughs> there's lots of jokes in there but i'm, I'm not going to go there because it's crass and we're better yeah. than that yeah essentially there's a gagging order in place <laughs> <laughs> stein has had a few run-ins with the, the skeptical community in the last uh, last couple of years most notably among those was his participation in in the film expelled mm. Um, which is a, a, for people who don't know, was a creationist propaganda flick, um, which quite famously claimed that evolution leads directly to Nazis. Um, <laughs> which technically <laughs> is sort of true in that Nazis also evolved. True, yeah. yes. But I don't think that was the route he was taking. Evolution did lead to Nazis in that sense, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. I, love, I love it when people do say that um, Darwin's theory of evolution did lead to the Nazis because I always think that blaming the Holocaust on Darwin is like blaming 9-11 on the Wright brothers. <laughs> <laughs> well, in support of his claim that, that, that the theory of evolution inspired Nazis and Ben Stein quotes um, Charles Darwin's book, um, The Descent of Man. Mm. Um, this, is, this is the, the quote Stein uses. With savages, the weak in body or mind are soon to be eliminated. We civilized men, on the other hand, do our utmost to check the process of elimination. We build asylums for the imbecile, the maimed, and the sick. Thus, the weak members of civilized societies propagate their kind. Nobody who has attended the breeding of domestic animals will doubt that this must be highly injurious to the race of man. Hardly anyone is so ignorant as to allow his worst animals to breed. Stein stops the quote there and names Darwin as the author, suggesting that, that this was a rationale provided by Darwin, which enabled the activities of the Nazis. Mm. Uh, taking a look at the actual text of The Descent of Man, Stein has not only taken the quote out of context, but actually altered its content to change the meaning of what really? Darwin said. <laughs> Let me read you the actual quote. With savages, the weak in body and mind are soon to be eliminated and those that survive commonly exhibit a vigorous state of health. We civilized men, on the other hand, do our utmost to check the process of elimination. We build asylums for the imbecile, the maimed and the sick. We institute poor laws and our medical men exert their utmost skill to save the life of every one to the last moment. There is reason to believe that vaccination has preserved thousands who from weak constitution would formerly have succumbed to smallpox. Thus, the weak members of civilized societies propagate their kind. No one who has attended to the breeding of domestic animals will doubt that this is highly in, that, that this must be highly injurious to the race of man. It is surprising how soon a want of care or care wrongly directed leads to the degeneration of a domestic race. But accepting the case of man himself, hardly anyone is so ignorant as to allow his worst animals to breed. The aid which we feel impelled to bring to the helpless is mainly an incidental result of the instinct of sympathy, which was originally acquired as part of the social instincts, but subsequently rendered, in the manner previously indicated, more tender and more widely diffused. Nor could we check our sympathy, even at the urging of hard reason, without deterioration in the noblest part of our nature. 
The surgeon may harden himself whilst performing an operation, for he knows he is acting in the good of his patient. But if we were to intentionally neglect the weak and the helpless, it could only be for contingent benefit with an overwhelming present evil. <laughs> Which is something of a different context. It just yeah. put it in a slightly different context. I think that's the biggest example of misrepresentation I have heard in a long time. <laughs> Stein seems to have something of a, a fixation with evoking the Nazis. Um, in the... The, the 2008 U.S. presidential elections, he compared one of Barack Obama's campaign rallies to Adolf Hitler's Nazi rallies at Nuremberg. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> this, this is what he said about that. He said, I don't like the idea of Senator Obama giving his acceptance speech in front of 75,000 wildly cheering people. That's not the way we do things in political parties in the United States of America. We have a contained <laughs> um, number of people in an arena. 75,000 people at an outdoor sports palace... That's something the Fuhrer would have done. What? <laughs> so hang on, he's not really criticising the, the size of the crowd or the fact that he's doing it to a crowd, but just that there were no walls around it. <laughs> it was outside. <laughs> <laughs> and he could have chosen anyone who might be in front of an audience as well. Like mm. Madonna. <laughs> Instead of uh, the president. Uh, he also tricked Richard Dawkins into a, into appearing in Expelled by telling him it was a movie called Crossroads about the intersection between science and religion. Wasn't that Britney Spears' film? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was the same content, though. No. No. Uh, the, the, the odd thing about that is that I, I expect Dawkins would have probably have agreed to be in the film anyway if he knew, mm. what, it was, uh, if he knew what it was about. But, so I don't understand why they felt the need to trick him. Perhaps it was... Because if they had Dawkins on board, that you know they would be able to say, "Well, we're interviewing Dawkins," and then persuade other people like P.C. Myers and Michael Shermer, who maybe mm. wouldn't have agreed to be in that in, in, in that film without Dawkins' involvement. Um, but when Dawkins appeared, they asked him if he could conceive of any plausible way that intelligent design could be true. Mm. Um, and Dawkins suggested that aliens could have seeded life on Earth, um, but that the aliens themselves would ultimately have become. Uh, would, would ultimately would have come about as a result of natural selection. Um, so he, he was pandering, really. Dawkins was trying to sort of he was making build an a little bit of the bridge. Yeah. In, uh, the, the, the interview question was pitched in such a way as, you know, can you think of any possibility that perhaps maybe you could say there was some sort of intelligent design in life? And he, he stood there, hmm. well, at a push, I suppose you could say that we were put here by aliens. But those aliens must have evolved. Yeah. yeah. Well, they mm -hmm. pitched this in the film as, look, Dawkins is bonkers. He thinks aliens created <laughs> people, and that, uh, but he won't believe in a god. Yeah, I mean, because clearly it's bonkers to believe it was aliens when it's better to believe it's an invisible sky god. Magic sky pixie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Magic man done it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, more recently, uh, Stein has become the spokes economist for an online credit report service called Freescore. Um, <laughs> Stein claims in the Freescore ads that you can't fix errors on your credit report if you haven't seen it. That's why I went to freescore.com and found out my score for free. Very, very carefully worded as he starts off talking about a credit report and mm. halfway through starts talking about a credit score instead. <laughs> um, it's a classic bait and switch. When, yeah. when they say free, it's actually $30 a month uh, with, with a seven-day free trial. Mm. Um, which allows you to access a, access a consolidated credit report. Um, even the trial actually isn't free because you, you're, you're charged $1, which they call a processing fee. Mm. Um, they, they say that this is refundable, but doesn't, don't, they don't explain the circumstances under which they will refund it. You have to phone them to find out, and I'm not going to phone them to find out what <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, what the yeah. circumstances for that are. But the small print on the website suggests, um, remember to ask for a refund of your processing fee, which suggests that if you don't ask, you don't get it. Yeah.
Well, the real kicker is there is actually a government-sanctioned free credit report service mm. at annualcreditreport.com, which will give you the same information for free yeah. as required by federal law. The New York Times has, has decided that Stein's work with freescore.com is a violation of their ethics policy, not for any political stand against freescore.com, um, but just because their terms and conditions are for, for employees say that you, you can't engage in product endorsements, whether paid or unpaid, while writing for the New York Times. Mm. Um, ultimately, the Times letting him go doesn't really mean anything to us from from a skeptical point of view, um, except that I'm quite pleased it's one less platform. Yeah, and it's kind of funny as well as what it means. <laughs> but, we yeah. can chuckle. Well, this guy seems to like make judicious use of logical fallacies to persuade people to his point of view, whether or not that point of view is actually true or supported by any good mm. evidence. So yeah. the the less media presence he has, and he's still a pundit and appears on TV shows, and he, he writes for Yahoo Finance and, and that sort of thing. Oddly enough, quite fantastically, um, if you if you go on the internet, you can find quotes from him saying, "Oh, the subprime mortgage crisis is it's a drop in the ocean. <laughs> It'll never have any sort of real impact on the mortgage market. It's a tiny amount. It'll never happen." I seem to remember reading a letter on the internet. I think it was on Skeptic that was supposed to be from hacked into the New York Times. Oh yeah, I did see that. I, I think it was fake though. I think it was uh, it was done for a laugh. Oh. I, mean, I don't think it was a genuine one. What letter? Letter? What letter? It- Basically said, well, it was along the lines of um, that basically they'd wanted to get rid of Ben Stein for a while ever since he released the film Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed, because they felt it compromises intellectual stance. Right. And that the free score debacle was a, a good excuse to do it. But I don't know yeah, how I mean, true I th- it is. I, th- I think it was, uh, it was put up as a, a bit of a joke. I know it was um, put up, I've got it here in front of me, in fact, from, uh, it was put up by user Chasmosaur, and it was really fantastic. I'll just read it out because it's very good. Uh, quite honestly, we've been, it says here that this is the first draft of, uh, Catherine Mar- Mathis' statement, Catherine Maris, who, who sacked him essentially. Right. Quite honestly, we've been uncomfortable with lending him journalistic and cultural credibility since the release of Expelled No Intelligence Allowed. However, we could find no grounds to dismiss him because of the film, and such an act would have opened up, opened us up to dangerous criticism of denying him First Amendment rights. Now though, we don't, we didn't feel we could ignore that Mr. Stein so obligingly accommodated us with a legitimate, undeniable reason to remove him from our roster. One might say that he intelligently designed the situation so we could firmly hold the moral high ground in releasing him from our services. If that, if that wasn't the press release when they fired him, it should it have been. Well should have been. <laughs> it should have been, really. Um, Alan Dangor, a nutritionist at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, is the author uh, recently of a peer-reviewed meta-study in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that concluded from 50 years of scientific evidence that so-called organic food was no healthier than conventionally farmed products at all. And Which is quite fantastic, really. Yes. I mean, we, we, we knew this anyway. We did know this. Um, uh, Brian Dunning covered it very well on Skeptoid, this, this idea yeah. that, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like it's the same crop. You know, it, 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 you're not do, it's not like you're changing the DNA. Um, it's it's still going to have the same proteins in the same places, doing yeah. the same job, providing the same nutritional standard. Yeah. yeah. Um, this, this this idea that it's um, uh, somehow it's magically better um, is crazy. Penn and Teller covered it quite recently as well. They did, um, they did a fantastic job. They did it they really, really well, did, yeah. especially the um, banana segment that they yeah. did. For listeners who didn't see it, this was where they they took a banana uh, and cut it in half. And then told people that one half of the banana was organically grown, and the other half of the banana was grown using yeah. like modern agribusiness, agricultural, yeah, modern pesticides, farming the works methods. 
and people would taste one banana and go, oh, you know, it, it, it's almost like banana flavouring. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a real banana. It's a bit bitter. It's slightly underripe. And then they taste the other half, which I stress is the same banana that <laughs> only seconds earlier had uh, been sliced in half. And they go, oh, that's much richer, much creamier. There's much more flavour in yeah, it. That's it's like, it's that's, more bananery. That's a real banana. Yeah. Um, well, it was the same plant. It's the same fucking plant. But when they said to her, you know, this is the same plant. Oh, really? Is it? Yeah. Does this change your view of organic food? No, I still think it's better. Yeah. Well, on what? But that's that's. Well, she, I think she ended up saying that I just believe in organic food. I believe it's better. Yeah, it's a faith-based position. It is just ultimately is what it comes down to. Exactly what it is. No evidence to support that it, it it is any better for you or that modern uh, farming methods produce food that is any worse. Yeah, I mean, I think they made a great point on the show as well, which uh, is something I picked up on when I, I wrote about this recently, um, that if you don't use modern farming methods, if you use organic-only methods, then you actually need twice the acreage to produce the same amount yeah, of crops. Yeah, the same crop, yeah. yeah. So Norman Borlaug, who he were, he's prob- one of the greatest living Americans, one of the greatest living men alive today, probably, he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1970 for his work um, in increasing the yields of crops in yeah. Mexico yeah. and India and all around the world. And when he was given the uh, Peace Prize, they actually handed it over by saying... This is for your work in saving the lives of one billion people. Personally saving one billion lives, which is pretty, it's pretty good. I mean, I haven't yeah. saved, I haven't saved any lives today. I don't know about you guys, <laughs> no. but. No. And I mean, it's, it's quite late in the day I as well. I did manage to break and not run over a cat. Really? Earlier in the week. So I suppose. So you've saved a cat. That's one life saved. Yeah. So we're, we're, we've got that's one, okay, one for three of us here. So we're, we're catching, I mean, the cat itself isn't a full life. No. In terms of people. Well, yeah. I wouldn't let Peter hear you say that. As Jimmy Carr said in one of his shows, cats do have nine lives, which makes them ideal for experimentation. <laughs> it means I have only saved one ninth of a life. Really. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And you know, so we need you need to save nine billion more cats to catch up with Norman Bollock. Nine is a magical number. Sure. But so Norman Bollock has he's he's had a look and he spent it. You know, he's in his I think he's in his eighties or nineties now. Mm. He's certainly his daughter. He's still working in the fields. He's still doing heroic work, increasing yields. And he's come out and said that um, if we go back to organic means and we don't use any modern techniques, we can probably grow enough crops maybe for four or five billion people if we cut down trees and you know d- dedicate more space to farmland, which means we've got but not two eight, to three... Yeah. To not eight billion people, which yeah. is the population yeah. that, that, that we're going to have to deal with within a very short space yeah. of time. Exactly. So in buying organic food, you're essentially It's a self-disposition. Yeah. yeah. You're deciding that there are three to four billion people who aren't going to eat. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when buying organic food, you should maybe be given a checklist of the names of the people in the world so you can just tick which ones you think shouldn't be eating. <laughs> oh. So, well, I'll have this organic banana. So yeah. uh, these guys, nah, you, yeah. sorry, lads. And that is the one of the important parts of the issue. And a couple of years ago, they were trying to introduce more genetically modified food strains. Mm, yeah. And I think it was Africa. And the organic food lobby tried to counteract this and stop it. And it was yeah, well, it was, it was actually it was a really, yeah. really bad example. Yeah. I believe it might have been Zimbabwe, or mm. it was certainly some uh, some really, really poor African country that was offered a billion tons of uh, genetically modified rice or corn. I, I, I'm not sure which. It was certainly a billion tons of genetically yeah. modified crop, and they turned it down because of the controver- controversy that was going on in America and in Europe yeah. about GM foods, and essentially saying, "Well, it's not good enough for you guys, but you want to palm it off in Africa." I yeah. made it seem like it was a real kind of uh, yeah, the, the Western world yeah. screwing over Africa again. And well, he turned it, down food that would have saved lives. Yeah, total misrepresentation. I mean, eating organic food might make you feel better, but 
genetically modified food might save the lives of it's billions. It's going to save as, the world. Yeah, well, all food they can produce is three genetically times modified. as much food as they could before. Yeah, all food's genetically modified. Yeah. We've just been doing it differently. Yeah. You know, yeah, we'd be doing it the hard way. Yeah, yeah exactly. using artificial selection, yeah. where now we can do it the easy way yeah. by going in and changing the genes. For someone Absolutely. In, for someone in Ethiopia or Zimbabwe, it's a matter of life or death whether you have that genetically modified. I mean, strain. ultimately, it's. It, take it on a global scale. It is a matter of life and death for percentages <laughs> of the of the population. Yeah. If we start, if we stop our selfish need for sort of the comfort of organic foods across the board, and you have people who campaign that all food should turn organic, and that entire nation should have organic only food, and it's just such nonsense. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm aware, there is there is not the amount of land available in the world to feed a population of eight billion people. And how's a population of eight billion oh, no, people? no, definitely not using non uh, using or, uh, organic farming techniques. No, it, fundamentally, it I mean, it's, and it's so wasteful. I mean, you can't use pesticides. So the only way to keep your crops from being eaten is to employ like farmhands, essentially laborers, to stoop in the fields and pick the insects off crops. <laughs> now, it's either yeah. that or spray it with something. I mean, which yeah. is better for? There's a reason these things were invented in the first place. Absolutely. That's it. (laughs) And your organic food proponents will bring up things like um, DDT and say, (laughs) you know, oh, look, you know, we know that pesticides cause harm. Look at at DDT. And forgetting that science that found out that DDT was unsafe. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they, 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 well, they, when people point out and go, oh, you know, what about asbestos and what about smoking? And well, no, science was the one that found out that asbestos (laughs) isn't safe. Science is the one that's found out that smoking isn't safe. Exactly. It it wasn't crystals, palm reading and gypsy curses that found it out. It was science. (laughs) We did the legwork on this and that's why, you know, we know that these things are unsafe. Mm. We've done the same legwork on modern pesticides and there's nothing wrong with them. Well, exactly. I mean, and as well, if you are growing organically, even organic farms will still use degrees of pesticides. So, yeah, yeah they just use organic pesticides. Yeah, which are more harmful anyway. Well, you they're, have to they're use, as, they're not as efficient, so you have to use twice as much to mm. get the same effect. And then if you look at uh, fertilizers, you know, if you can only use organic fertilizer, bullshit, literally, it's just literally bullshit, bullshit yeah. then... You know, cows are the main source, the main organic source of CO2 in this, in this, well, of methane, in fact, rather on CO2. And, uh, cows Which is a, produce a, a greenhouse huge, gas, a much yeah, more, I mean, much more, po- much more potent greenhouse gas. Yeah, 25 times more potent yeah. than CO2. And that's with our current levels of cows at the moment to have enough cows to be providing <laughs> bullshit for <laughs> the entire bullshit organic world. Yeah. We'd be having to up our numbers of cows, up the, the methane production and ultimately screw the planet. And we can enjoy I, some E. coli with our sweet corn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Joining us now is Simon Perry, founder of Leicester Skeptics in the Pub and author of the Adventures in Nonsense blog. Uh, Simon, it's nice to have you with us. Yeah, nice to be here. Th- thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Um, now, your involvement in Simon Singh's BCA case and the ensuing focus on chiropractors has drawn praise from many quarters, including a name check in The Guardian. Uh, what was it that first made you decide to take an active interest in the case? Um, well, I guess I've always been um, interested in people making um, strange claims. I mean, it's not so much an interest in the case. It's an interest in, in, in trying to stop people making claims that are, are harming others through forcing them, to, I guess, getting them to enter into financial transactions that they wouldn't otherwise enter into. I think the, 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 the Simon Singh case focused my attention on, on chiropractic, but I submitted previous um, ASA and trading standards complaints against uh, other medical claims as well. 
Mm. But it's fair to say this is probably the the biggest involvement you've had in a, in a particular... I think event. certainly the most complaints. I've probably made about eight different complaints before, but in terms of individual letters since this started, I've made probably about 130, 140 letters now. I think what the BCA did is, it, is, it, is it, it's an attack on science. As soon as you prevent people making criticisms about ideas through the law, at that point you're making science almost impossible to carry out. And... Uh, an, an attack on science is, is obviously something I'm, I'm keen to defend, although not, not directly uh, doing anything against the BCA, but um, making sure that any claims that are actually put up to a proper challenge. Cool. Now, could you talk us through your involvement uh, sort of step by step and, and what action you took at each stage? OK, so, I mean, I haven't really been, uh, I guess, involved with Simon in any way. I mean, he doesn't, um, I, I should take care to say he, he doesn't, um, uh, he hasn't agreed with me for me to do what I'm doing. It's, you know, it's Simon's thing has got anything to do with this. Um, uh, but uh, I guess my, my first stage was to uh, go on the BCA website, and I, I noticed that their members were displaying their uh, website addresses. Mm. So um, I, I'm, I run a software company um, specializing in web software, so I know a bit about it. And um, I, I write a bit of software to go through the website and just to grab uh, the BCA website and just to grab the URLs of all of the chiropractors on that. Yeah, sure. Um, and then another bit of software to go through their websites and look for what claims were being made. So it cached their entire website, downloaded all, the, all of the, the website content into a database, and then I could run a search on it to see if they used the word. I mean, I focused on the, on the colic claim, the claim to treat colic. Mm. So I then run a search to look to see if that word was contained anywhere on their website. Um, when it was, I then went through manually with the, with, with the matches, so I was just looking at the page that had the text on it. Um, and identify, then I can identify exactly which uh, places were making claims to treat colic because I just sure. manually verified the text. The next stage was to use their postcode to do a postcode lookup on the trading standards website to actually find out where their local trading standards officer was and the address of their local trading standards officer. Mm. And then the final stage of, uh, stage of the program was just a simple mail merge to write basically to print out letters for, I think the first was about 86, something like that, or 88, because what I did is I limited it to, I wanted each trading standards officer to look like they were involved with one complaint. I didn't want it to make it look like it was a major campaign, and therefore mm. they were thinking, oh, someone else will take this on, we'll see what they do, and they'll all, wait, they'll all think the same thing. So I wanted it to be very individual letters. So I organized it, even though I found about 160 170 different practices with about 500 uh, chiropractors at those practices. Mm. Um, I, I only wanted to send out one. Uh, I, I only wanted each training standards office to receive one letter. Sure. Um, that was then questioned by uh, a few of the training standards office, and at that point, I sent the whole list in. So I sent the whole list into about two different uh, two different boroughs. Yeah. Actually, that, 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 that first stage, mm-hmm. uh, myself and Chris French and one of the person all, all wrote letters in. So each of these 88 different trading standards boroughs got three letters of complaints about one chiropractor. Mm. And then the second stage, I, I reported, uh, originally reported all of the chiropractors, the 500 odd to the General Chiropractic Council was the second stage. They didn't, um, they, they wouldn't accept the information like that. Mm. Um, so I, I reset. I, um, I actually now merged it uh, again with individual complaints, and I only did it 56 of them that time because I wanted uh, they will only accept complaints about chiropractors, not chiropractic practices. 
So I mail merged it with all the ones that only had one chiropractor at them. Mm. Uh, and they were accepted. I had to uh, sign uh, an affidavit uh, with a load of evidence, which weighed about, I think, about a kilo by the end of it. <laughs> they had a printout of all the website pages. Uh, so I just signed that off the other day. And then, yeah, in the third stage of the campaign, which was the uh, the 500 signatures, um, there were loads and loads of the claims were just dropping off these websites, mm. uh, partly because of what I did. Uh, I think also because um, uh, Zeno did, if you've seen that blog as well. he I found out later he was doing the same thing that I was. Uh, and then McTimony uh, Chiropractic Association sent out this email. I'm sure you've seen it, which was just the funniest thing I've ever seen. Telling Absolutely. People, it's and, yeah, it was, that was a great day, wasn't it? I was <laughs> smiling for about a week after. Um, uh, the... Um, sent up this email saying, take your claims down. I can't remember the exact text, like saying, take take the claims down now. Anything you can't substantiate, this includes uh, claims to treat colic and, and asthma, etc. Yeah, I think very specifically he said it was because of a witch hunt, wasn't it? A witch hunt yeah, against witch chiropractors. Hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Except we're on the side of the evidence here. <laughs> so it's slightly different to a witch hunt. Um, but, but, but also, um, because of the type of claims being involved, if, if, if the claims we're making aren't true, um, then they've got nothing to fear. Mm. Uh, and and, uh, and the, the, the thing, no one who has evidence to back up the claims that they're making has anything to fear from this campaign because yeah. trading standards aren't going to take action against somebody that's practicing evidence-based medicine. GCC aren't going to take any action against that. So if you're running a business, uh, I guess honestly, and when I say honestly, I mean yeah. actually you're checking, you're checking your facts yeah, based on and you're fairly time. treating the evidence, then you've got nothing to worry about. Um, and, and just on the honesty claim, I do think that a lot of these chiropractors aren't necessarily being di- dishonest. I don't think that there's a load of chiropractors out there um, that, that know that co- it doesn't work for colic, but are, but are treating it anyway. I think they're yeah. just assessing the evidence properly. No, I, I think so. I think it's done with the best intentions, but not the best of evidence. Yeah, which is, which is what makes uh, Simon Singh's position so untenable, really, given that Judge Edie has ruled that um, his article on chiropractic for the Guardian suggests that they are dishonestly doing it. And I don't think any skeptic genuinely believes that. Yeah, and, and Simon Singh certainly doesn't doesn't believe that. And 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 I've, and I've spoken to Simon about this, and he, he, that certainly wasn't his intention. And then uh, once this email had gone out asking people or begging people to take down the claims, what was the next stage after that? Well, um, I re-monitored actually because I because I ran I, I, because I had already written the program to search through and find it. I could find out how many had dropped, and mm. I can't remember the exact number. I think in total, like three hundred web web pages were changed. I mean, it, they, they just died, um, mm. and it was down from about one hundred and sixty making the claim down to fifty six. Mm. So, and, and this is individual practitioners. This isn't um, individual web pages. But hundreds of pages have been changed. I think it was about 270, and it's on my blog if, if you wanted to check it. But um, loads, loads of these web, web pages disappeared. So I thought, well, there's 56. I've got, to, I've got to mop up the remaining 56. So at that point, I wrote another letter. And, I, and, and what I used in that letter is what I'd learned from the first set of letters. Yeah. I've got you know, almost 90 replies from trading standards offices here. And... and a lot of them have, have done a great job in getting them to change the site, and, a lot, and they've been nice about it. They've just given them business advice, saying, you know, you shouldn't really be claiming this if you haven't got the evidence, and then they've taken it down. Um, but a few of them just haven't done anything. Um, and interestingly, Edinburgh, if you've read the latest, latest post on the blog, that's quite an interesting case. Yeah, I'd like to come to that uh, later, certainly. 
Um, <laughs> but, but because I got all these letters back, I knew the reasons and the excuses that the trading standards offices, where they decided not to do anything, I, I saw what the excuses were. Mm. So I could craft a letter which covered all of those <laughs> from the beginning. So I think it's about a four-page letter long. Mm. It's four pages long. And I put it on, and, and what I did is after I created the letter, I put it on the internet. Uh, ben Goldacre picked it up. Ben Goldacre tweeted it, and he put it on his mini blog as well. Mm. And um, straight after he tweeted it, I was averaging about two signatures a minute. Really? Yeah, for the next for the next couple of hours. <laughs> they were just coming in like anything. And then they started to slow down. And in the yeah. end, I got um, I got just over. I got well, I got five hundred exactly. Mm. Um, well, I got five hundred and two, but. Um, one of them, his name was Bollocks, and his position was between the legs. So I, I decided. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Well, I mean, we put it up on our blog as well, and um, and and I tweeted it. So I think uh, hopefully a couple of our guys uh, from Merseyside Skeptics also yeah. uh, signed. Yeah, both of our readers would have signed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- thank you very much for that. So, uh, so I believe that letter of complaint went out um, at the end of July. Is that right? Oh, it was only a few days ago that it went out. Um, so what do you see is the next step with, with this, really? Well, at the moment, there's a focus on Edinburgh, actually, because mm. um, there's one chiropractor in Edinburgh that's, um, that apparently has provided some evidence for, uh, for the claims. Yeah, I saw this. <laughs> um, uh, but an Edinburgh have come back and said, well, they've provided evidence and we're satisfied with it, so um, mm. we won't be pursuing it any further. Um, and I said, well, what's the evidence? And they said, well, we can't tell you. <laughs> so oh, that's a great way of uh, achieving scientific progress. They um, haven't quite got this that how science works down, have they? This, yeah. <laughs> well, they're not they're not working with science. I think is the, is the reason. <laughs> um, but um, but so I then just I, I then wrote uh, an email to the practitioner involved um, and said, you know, this is this is amazing stuff. It's really important to get this out there because obviously. <laughs> I've made all these complaints. If you can let me see the evidence, I'll instantly retract all these claims, including the ones at the GCC and trading standards, because it's so important that kids can get a treatment that works. And if you've got evidence to show that it works, they need to be able to get that treatment. And at the moment, they're being prevented. But it's also important, if you haven't got any evidence, that I make sure I can continue my campaign. So could you please let me see the evidence? Mm. Uh, and he sent me back a letter saying, no, <laughs> words, but no, really, I'm not going to show you the evidence. Well, we definitely have to uh, keep an eye on your blog and uh, see what's going on with that. So, Simon, uh, what's next for yourself and the Adventures in Nonsense blog? Um, well, there's a few things I haven't blogged about um, yet. That I'm, that I'm, I, mean, I just blogged about something the other day, which was um, uh, uh, a, tr- a traditional Chinese medicine um, place in Leicester mm. that was giving allergy tests. Um, and But I did this like two months ago and, and haven't got around to it. So I've got a few other things like that. With, with the allergy test place, I um, I went for an allergy test and one of my friends also went for an allergy test as well. And you, you give a hair sample when you when mm. you take the test. And then they give you, they send it away to a lab and then they come back with results two weeks later. When I got my results back, it didn't quite match up with my allergies. And uh, when my friend got his results back, his were very, very different to mine, which is funny because we both use my hair. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he took in my hair, and, and they were completely different. Um, I, there, I think there was one um, item that was common to the, to the two, but, I mean, I think they came up with a list of, like, eight or nine things that we were allergic to. And, and, and they use it to sell – I mean, they sell it as an allergy test, but they also say – you're lacking in these areas, you should take these supplements as well. So they're using it to try and flog supplements to you and recommended different 
actually the, the, the box that was ticked um, was the same for both of us. We both got like the fifth box down checked. Um, if it was the fifth, I'm not sure. But we both got the same box checked. But they'd actually changed their listing in the meantime. So we, they were telling us to buy different things. Really? Did, did you want to hear about the weirdest allergy test I've ever taken? Which think, was the most recent one? I think we probably would, to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it was an applied kinesiologist. <laughs> you, you hold your arm out. Mm. And, um, they try and push it down. So firstly, they'll, they'll try and push your arm down under normal conditions, and then they... they, they yes! They, I've heard of it. Sorry, yeah. to I've heard of this. <laughs> so, um, so they do it in the normal conditions, and then they give you something that you might be allergic to to hold, and then they force it down again and see if it's easier. But they're not, me- you know, they're not measuring the force properly. They're just pushing it down with their arm, so it's mm. entirely subjective. Um, so th- what this woman would do is she would get me to hold a homeopathic preparation of things <laughs> against my stomach. She was very keen on getting it properly controlled. I wasn't allowed to look at what was on on the label just in case that affected the experiment. Of course, she looked. Yeah, so she understands single blind for these, but (laughs) exactly. So, um, so she um, she she went through I don't know like fifty things on this list, Um, and 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 again, it's in a glass vial, and there's nothing in the vial anyway. It's homeopathic preparation, nothing but. Um, a, a sugar pill that had a drop of water on it that didn't contain anything. Um, so I went through about 50, and I said, well, um, you know, anything anything else I can do? And she said, because um, we had time left over, I think it was an hour's consultation or something, yeah. and, uh, and uh, I said, well, what would you suggest? And she said, well, I can, I can check your um, percentage of good bacteria to bad bacteria because – you know, people have bad bacteria in their body. Okay, well, let, let's do that. So she held, she repeatedly pushed my hand down while she counted in tens, like ten, twenty, up to up to a hundred. And then, she, and then she she thought it was weakest at ten, so she counted from ten to twenty, and from that deduced that I had fourteen percent bad bacteria. <laughs> like, you know, I thought I'd, I'd seen nonsense before. This is unbelievable. Um, so then I said, well, what can I, is there anything I can do to improve it? Is there anything you want me to take or anything like that? Yeah. Start lifting weights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be a sensible step. Although she calibrates it at the beginning. Ah, uh, I see. <laughs> uh, uh, you tend to be weakest actually when she catches you by surprise. Mm. I mean, that's the main thing. If you, because obviously if you're expecting someone to push you down at that point, then you, you're stronger. But if she just catches you off guard, it just falls. Um, so anyway, to, to find out which uh, what I should take, she got a book out that had a list of remedies, and she pushed my arm down as she pointed to the descriptions of them. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I've never seen such nonsense. We've got dowsing as well. We've got dowsing is what we've got. It was yeah, it was basically dowsing. But unbelievable. And I've seen that in, in, in videos. I've seen the applied kinesiologists used in videos as well with uh, chiropractic as well. So they've, they've got a mother to hold a baby and they're, they're kind of touching areas of the back to find out where the subluxation is. But they're using the mother's strength in her other arm to test it as if somehow it's communicated back to the mother. And it's unbelievable. God, it's terrible, isn't it? It's just distressing when they involve babies with such, such bullshit. Yeah, and I think, and I think a lot, a lot of people must leave this and realise it's nonsense. And I've spoken to people that have. 
that have, you know, have gone for these tests and later found out that they're nonsense, but they're too embarrassed to report it to trading standards. And if it's too embarrassed or they feel that, oh, these are nice people, they're just deluded, I don't want to report them. But well, they just want the hassle, maybe. Maybe they don't want any hassle involved. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Um, but they don't feel angry about being ripped off. They just kind of feel, oh, well, that was a mistake and, and kind of move on. And, and of course, they're allowing... By doing that, by not by not you know speaking out about it and and talking to trading standards or or the ASA or, or wherever, they're, they're just allowing um, these people to continue, and more and more people are getting ripped off. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people are in business, you know, they're, they're supporting their income off off um, I mean, not not deliberate fraud, but um, off uh, you know selling nonsense that doesn't work. Mm. Cool. Well, also you're you're the founder, I believe, of of Leicester Sketches in the Pub. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Who's your next speaker you've got coming up? Well, we've got um, Dr. Christine Moore, um, and she did a she did a PhD on neuropsychology and magical belief, and she's going to be talking about how um, d- does creativity affect your uh, likelihood of believing in, in in magical things. Ah, cool. And when's this? This is on August the eighteenth. It's at seven thirty in a pub called Square Bar. Cool. And and how can our listeners uh, should they want to come along? How can they find uh, more details for that event? Just go to our website. It's uh, there's no www. It's just http colon slash slash lester dot skeptics in the pub dot org and skeptics is with a k. Hey, <laughs> cool. Well, uh, it's been fantastic having you on. Well, thank, thank you very much for inviting me on. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely keep in touch, and uh, you'll have to keep us uh, informed of what you uh, get up to in the future. And if you get up to anything interesting, we'll have you back on. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, so for, for listeners who aren't aware, we, uh, Merseyside Skeptic Society is also involved in running uh, Liverpool Skeptics in the pub. We are indeed. Um, which is uh, it's fantastic. It's been going really well. Um, but unlike most skeptics in the pubs around the UK at the moment, uh, we do it uh, without any celebrity guest speaker. We, well, I mean, I'm there. I don't know. If, do I count? Celebrity guest speaker. Not, I'm none of those, aren't <laughs> Not I? someone who's on a couple of tin pot podcasts. <laughs> oh, he slammed. He slammed the podcasts. So, uh, yeah, we, we run social only um, editions of the skept- uh, under the skeptics in the pub brand. And um, when are those, Mike? Uh, we, yeah, we run those on the... Well done, nice segue. That was, see, that's smooth. That's, that, I'm getting the hang of this. That works. <laughs> um, we run those on the first and third uh, Thursdays of the month at a, a pub in Liverpool. Um, details can be found on our website, mosesideskeptics.org.uk. Nice. Uh, don't forget that skeptics is spelled with a K. Um, yeah, we're, we're doing well on that, and we're, we're quite happy with that. But we thought we wanted to get some celebrity speakers in. So we... We're very, very pleased that for September 17th, yeah. Professor Chris French will be coming up to talk to us um, about anomalistic psychology, psychology isn't absolutely. it? Yeah. yeah, it's going to be very, very good. It's very exciting news. Chris French is uh, he's a very cool guy. It should be a very yeah. interesting talk, I think, really. Also the editor of The Skeptic magazine as well. He is. He writes for The Guardian as well. Yeah. So that's September 17th? September 17th from 8 o'clock. Yeah. At the Crown uh, Pub? Um, at, yeah, the, the, the Crown Hotel. The Crown Hotel. Um, uh, the up, upstairs bar, the Crown Hotel. It's just across the road from Lime Street. It's dead easy to find. Um, if you're going to struggle, use Google Maps. What do I look like? A sat nav? Yeah, so anyone who wants to come along, uh, feel free to come along. The details are all up on our website, as we say, and they're also up in Facebook. So join our Facebook group. Let us know you're coming along. Yeah. So we'd and like to see it the is love. free to get in. It is. Um, although we, we will ask for a voluntary donation uh, uh, on the evening, even if it's just a couple of pounds. Um, yeah. 
towards uh, the expenses of running the event. But yeah, train fare, that kind of thing. Ultimately, what it comes down to, if, if you don't want to pay, you don't have to pay. Um, it just depends on how much you enjoy the lecture and whether you think that we're, uh, you, you want us to do any more of these. Because if it's uh, costing us money to run them, we'll stop <laughs> doing it. So if you want us to carry on, you better put your hand in your pocket. Okay, well, thanks very much for joining me today, you guys. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure, as always. Good uh, to be here. I think these are coming along quite well, these podcasts, aren't they? I think we're getting there. We're, we're, we're all, picking them up. Almost sound like we know what we're doing. <laughs> well, we haven't heard it back yet. That's true. I've got the editing to go yet. God bless you. Okay, <laughs> but we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yep, see you soon. Okay, bye now. Bye. Ciao. Skeptics with a K is a production of the Merseyside Skeptics Society. Visit our website at www.mersesideskeptics.org.uk or email podcast at merseysideskeptics.org.uk.